Hi guys, I'm Marie. And I'm Maddie. And we are here recording Lost in the Woods. Yes. Yes. For another week. Welcome back. <laughs> We're back for another week. So yeah, hopefully everybody had a great week and a wonderful Mother's Day. I know it's two weeks ago now. We never record on the same days. We don't have like schedule. It's A lot of it's just based on what we have going on or when I finished the research on it. So, so yeah, if anybody else wants to help with research, get those papers in. <laughs> My mother's drowning. I need to go. I need to go hiking and I can't go hiking because I have too much research to do. All right. So this week we are telling a story that we have been putting off. No. Yep. No, this is not what I want to do today. This is not. It has to be done, Madison. So we have been putting off this story. It's the Geraldine Largay story, and we have avoided it like the plague. It's just one of those cases where it gets to us a little more. And so we we haven't done it. I hate I've, whoever recommended this. I hate you all. <laughs> strongly. So we have literally had, I think, like five different people recommend oh, this case. Oh, it's been more than yeah. five because you tell me at least like twice a month that someone recommended this I case. Know. And then I, I scream no and I run. I walk out of the room. <laughs> I tell you no and then I walk away. So I actually started the research for this case a, a few— A really long time yeah, ago. Yeah, months and months and months ago. And, and I said no. And I said stop. Maddie refused to do it. And so I stopped researching it and just kind of walked away from it for a little bit. And there are a lot of cases that I've had to do that with where I will start them. And then I kind of have to like walk away and I'll start a new case or do things like that. So this is one <sighs> of them. Great. This is going to ruin my whole day. Good thing your day's almost over. Okay. Geraldine, or Jerry, as she was called by her friends and family, was a retired nurse from Tennessee. She enjoyed hiking and liked taking her grandson out. She even made a quilt that featured a hiker on a path, very, very into hiking and the outdoors. She was known as a loving person, and she was 66 years old when in 2013, she decided that she was going to hike the Appalachian Trail. Which, no matter how many cases we do on the Appalachian Trail, I still want to do it. She started her journey to hike the Appalachian Trail at Harper's Ferry on April 23 with her friend Jane Lee. They planned to hike to Mount Katahdin in Maine and then flip-flop back to Harper's Ferry and start again in the other direction. Wait, like, do it? They started where? So the Appalachian Trail, we've talked about it before on this podcast, but it's the longest hiking only footpath in the world. It's 2,193.1 miles, and it goes through 14 states. It has 464,500 of gains and losses in elevation, and more than 3 million visitors go and hike it every year. And this trail goes from Georgia to Maine. Right. So they are starting in Washington— So in the middle, and they are hiking north to Maine, and then they're going to drive back to Washington and hike south to Georgia. Why? So that they can get a little bit of the north direction and a little bit of the south direction. Jerry's husband would actually be traveling kind of along with them, but a little different. 
So he's not planning on hiking, but he is planning on meeting up with them along the way, and he's carrying the majority of their gear. Mm, because That's the, awesome. I know, because the 25-pound pack for her was too much. I mean, she is 66 years old, you guys. If I was doing that, I would feel judged. If me and Maddie had somebody following along, booking hotels for us— getting us clean beds and showers and carrying a bunch of our gear, picking up our supplies, we might be not doing it properly. But she's 66. Yeah, I want a few gear drops. I do drops for sure. I do not want to carry. I did do food drops when I did Wonderland. So I want more food drops than you even did. Because <laughs> Maddie needs a Sherpa. <laughs> I want a pack mule. So... He would actually start each day and hike a little bit with them, and then he would double back to his car and head to the next place. So I'm not—I think his reason for not hiking is, one, he wasn't really interested in doing it, and two, he had some more, like, back, like, health problems that would make it harder for him to hike. So probably, like, 60. So— Jerry actually gave herself a trail name, which is Inchworm, and it was really just poking fun at her slow pace. She said no matter how, like, good she felt that day, the second she started climbing uphill, she felt like an inchworm, like, just slowly dragging herself up the mountain. (laughs) Going up. And her husband, George, even got a trail name as well, and his trail name was Sherpa. Funny. (laughs) That's actually really funny. That's fitting. That is definitely fitting. I hate this case. I hate this case. I know. So Geraldine prepared for the hike by reading several books on the hike. She also took special Appalachian hiking courses and did a 200-mile practice hike. And I think she did two of those. And I also read, so you think about an Appalachian hiking course and you're like, oh, good. She learned survival skills. No. That is not what this course was about. Hindsight tells us that might have been helpful. However, these classes were more about the trail and the shelters and what you're packing and how to mentally handle the trail. They weren't like, how do you read your compass? How do you stay alive in the woods? Which we will, we'll we'll talk about that at the end. Because I feel like after doing the research on this story and hearing some of the stats, I'm like, maybe all of our listeners need to know what they should do if they get lost in the woods. I don't know. Almost like that's the whole name of the podcast. My new joke going into the woods every time now is that I can't die in here because that would be embarrassing. Embarrassing. We literally <laughs> joke about that all the time now. So Geraldine was married to George Largy? 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 Largy is how I've been saying Largy? it in my head. I don't know. Largy. A lot of times I'll like say a name in my head and I'll say it over and over and over again while I'm researching. You know, like as I'm looking things up or typing things in or Yes, so that is why things. we have last names wrong and it's not my fault. It's my mom's <laughs> fault because then I ask her how to say it and she tells me whatever's in her brain. It's whatever's in my brain. So like there have been cases where we just say the last name wrong the yeah, entire time. Yeah, we literally did it very, <laughs> very recently. It was terrible. So we are going with Largue on the last name here. It might be wrong. Hopefully that is not wrong. But if it is, it's my fault. So they'd been married for 42 years and traveled extensively. So, yeah, like my mom said, he had back problems and was just in no condition to hike. And he said that it was her hike, which is fair enough, I'd say. Yeah, it sounds like this was something that she, like, really prepared for and wanted to do. And he was being the supportive, like, 
person, like making sure she had everything she needed, making sure that everything was good. Fair enough. Yep. But to be clear, we don't have Sherpa-like friends when we go on our hikes, although that would be really nice. I would take it up. I'm not even embarrassed. You can be. (laughs) Jerry was one of those people on the trail, and we have met people on the trail like this who just make friends so easily. A lot of people knew, though, that she was afraid of the dark and didn't like being alone. Oh, no. That's so much worse. I know. So on June 30th, they reached New Hampshire. Round of applause. Good job. It was there that Geraldine's friend Jane had to cut her hike short to tend to a family emergency. But Geraldine wasn't ready to go home yet and decided to continue on her own. Which initially when I read that, I was like, "Mm." but you have to remember her husband's also traveling along with her. It's not like she's really that alone. Yeah, true. Jane would later say that Geraldine had a terrible sense of direction and had gotten turned around on multiple occasions during the portion that they had hiked together. On Sunday, July 21, Geraldine spent the night at Poplar Ridge Lean-To in Western Maine. So one of our cases, the Thelma Mark shelter that we did, that's like a lean-to. So on most of the lean-tos, they're just like a couple walls, a little structure, and A lot of hikers actually set up around it, not in it, unless it's raining. But some people prefer to be in it. I always prefer to set up outside of it. This lean-to is about 200 miles from the end of the Appalachian Trail. Oh my God, she was only 200 miles. It was there that she met a fellow hiker named Dottie Rust, who was traveling south with another hiker. So she's going north. She's going north, they're going south. When Dottie and this other hiker get to the lean-to, Jerry is already there, along with another hiker whose name is Ivanich. Okay? Are you with me? Ivanich? Ivanich. And that's important later. Jerry also shared with Dottie that she preferred to sleep in the lean-to over her tent and that she didn't like the dark. And the group stayed up kind of late chatting. Like, they got along really well. They really enjoyed each other's company. So Monday, July 22nd at 6.30 a.m., as Jerry was preparing to head out, Dottie asked to take a picture of her before she left in the morning. In this photo, Jerry looks radiant. She's wearing khaki shorts, a red sweater. She has a blue and white bandana in her hair that looks like the sky, and her blonde hair is peeking out. She seems to be buckling her backpack, and she is wearing glasses, hiking shoes, and black gaiters over her shoes. Shorts and gators. I like the look. Mm-hmm. like the look. She also has an orange whistle affixed to the strap of her backpack. So the lean-to is in the background of this photo as well. Yep. And we'll post this picture um, on social media too. For the weather that day, the high would be 72 and the low would be 63. At 7.26 a.m., She texts her husband saying that she was heading north on the trail and her next stop is Spalding Mountain Lean-To. And this is in Mount Abram Township. She is scheduled to meet up with her husband on the 24th. Sometime before 11 a.m., Jerry felt the call of nature and turned left off of the trail to use the bathroom. And the ATC, which is the, like the guidelines, The guidelines for using the bathroom on the AT is to go at least 200 feet 
or 80 paces from water, shelters, and trails. Right? Deal. So, and that's actually anywhere. That's what you should be doing when you use the bathroom. You never want to use the bathroom near a water source. You never want to use the bathroom near a trail. Please don't leave your toilet paper everywhere. And that's another thing. Like, pack up your toilet paper. It's so disrespectful and rude. Either bury it or pack it up. I got a little bag that has my poop shovel in it. And then I have a little bag that goes inside that has dirty toilet paper But there are a few things that make me as irritated as when... You turn a corner and You turn a a corner and there's toilet paper, like a bunch of toilet paper chilling on the ground because so many people have used the bathroom in a spot. Like, that's disgusting. You know that doesn't just decompose in like a couple days, right? Yeah, and either way, it doesn't belong in the environment. Like, bury it or carry it out. So we know that she leaves the trail and we know that she goes left. Okay. One thing that we always do when we are hiking and need to use the bathroom is, one, you leave your trekking pole where you leave the trail. I feel like one of us just always stays on the trail. Well, yeah, but if you're by yourself, you leave a trekking pole on the trail, uh, at the trail, and then you make sure that you can see it wherever you go. Don't go further than where you can see that trekking pole. That does two things. It notifies anybody coming along that somebody is there and will usually prevent somebody from, like, wandering into the woods in the same spot where you're going to the bathroom. By 11 a.m., so four and a half hours after her picture was taken, she would be lost. By this point on her hike, she has hiked over 950 miles and has managed to not get lost. At 11.01, she messages her husband, George, saying, In some trouble. Got off trail to go to the bathroom. Now lost. She asked him to call the Appalachian Mountain Club. She asked him to see if a trail maintainer can help me. Somewhere north of Woods Road. XOX. So it doesn't sound like she's panicked yet. She's not asking him to notify the police. She's not freaking out. Just like, hey, in a little trouble. By the way, this is a similar message that I sent when I got lost on Mount St. Helens and got separated from my climbing partner for a very long time, but doesn't seem panicked yet. The road she's actually referring to, though, is called Railroad Road, but this wouldn't matter because she had no reception and the message would never send. (sighs) So she would try to send this message 10 times that day. The last one would be at 12.25 p.m. At 2.09, she attempts another message with no verbiage in the message. So just trying to see if something will go through, I'm assuming. Okay, first off, super traumatizing, right? You leave the trail just to use the bathroom, and all of a sudden, you're so turned around that you can't find your way back to the trail. Like, that is terrifying. And what's concerning to me is that she does have a compass with her. It's like the one that I have on my pack where it's got the thermometer and the compass kind of like a little cheap light one, but she should know what direction the trail's in, right? If she leaves, if she's heading north, she leaves the trail, right? She takes a left. So now she knows which direction she needs to go, but obviously she doesn't either know how to use her compass or doesn't use it to get back to the trail. Yeah. It's very stressful. It's very stressful. I read a study one time that said that 75% or more of through hikers, so people who are doing long-distance hiking, do not carry or do not know how to use a compass. Like, they don't even carry one. 
And if they do, a lot of them don't know how to use it. Do I have a compass? No, but I do. So <laughs> you do not have a compass. No. I feel like something I have has a compass on it. No. I don't think so. Something I definitely don't carry has a compass on it. <laughs> but you something don't carry Something I it? 100% don't use has so a compass on it. Madison solely relies on me to not get her lost in the woods. But using a compass can be really difficult and can be really challenging. And if you don't know the direction that you're supposed to go, a compass isn't going to help you anyway. So it sounds like Jerry might have been a little directionally challenged. So maybe even if she did know how to use her compass, maybe she didn't know if she needed to go east or west. Maybe she couldn't remember which way she had left the trail. Because she would know that she's going north, I would think. She does head up at this point. So my guess is that she's trying to get higher ground to get reception. So she's already lost in the woods, right? She's turned around. She doesn't know which way to go. So she starts heading up. She finds elevation and starts going up, right? Which isn't, it's not the worst plan, but it's definitely not what you're supposed to do if you get lost in the woods. That night, she would set up camp surrounded by a canopy of hemlocks, which would make it really difficult for air searchers to see her. She doesn't set up in like an open area Mm -hmm. where she could be seen. She sets up under the cover of trees. The reason she probably does this is it's pouring down rain. And if she doesn't have a waterproof tent, she's going to get wet. So she actually wrote in her journal that night that she was in a crummy spot. So on Tuesday, July 23rd at 4 18, she messages her husband and says, lost since yesterday, off trail three or four miles, call police for what to do, please, XOX. And again, this text did not go through. At 1.45 on Wednesday, the 24th, Jerry's husband, George, decides to call the police when Jerry still hasn't shown up for her meeting with him. Right, and so he was kind of hoping that she would show up They had, like, tentative plans to meet up, but when she didn't make it by midday on the 24th, because he was thinking maybe rain delayed her, maybe something happened, and he sat at the crossroads and asked every single hiker that passed him if they had seen her. So on Thursday, July 25th, Jerry packed up her tent and moved to a higher ridge. This spot was 120 feet from the creek that could supply water. She built up branches and leaves for her to sleep on. She only had two days worth of food, so she decided to ration it. And that night, she ate rationed Fritos, almonds, and a couple of prunes. Right, which would probably be about 300 calories, which probably, I mean, is still at a major deficit, obviously. She wrote in her journal and tried to come up with a plan. Another thing that's really important to remember because I read a lot of articles on this case, and I read a lot of people criticizing Jerry for the way that she handled things or for the things that she did. But if you have never been lost in the woods, you have no idea how your brain handles that. A lost person does not act rationally. Most people in any type of stressful situation Mm -hmm. do not act rationally anyway. Like, I was lost with a friend. Phone died. Both of our phones were dead. We had no idea where we were. We couldn't find—we didn't have a charger. 
So her plan was to find somebody to be able to log into Snapchat on their phone to contact our friends to like, she mastered up this entire plan. <laughs> and I was like, or we could go to the store and buy a portable charger. Yeah. And a charger. And then charge her phone and then get there. Yeah. So like <laughs> people's brains just don't. Well, and this is even, this is even scarier, right? Because oh, you. Oh, this is way you're scarier. In, you're in a life or death situation Which, now. like we said, we've said a hundred times on this podcast is that you never know how you're going to react. You never know how anyone's going to react in any type of situation. And I think a lot of people are usually surprised by the way that they handle situations. I mean, Maddie and I have been surprised before at how we handle stressful situations. Let's chug a fuck ton of vodka, pack up our shit and walk and down the run down the mountain. Or like even when, when I thought somebody was breaking into my car and I ran towards them screaming, like... You just don't know what you're going to do in in any kind of situation. But most people tend to, when they get lost in the woods, they tend to move faster. Their adrenaline makes them feel panicked and usually gets the better of them, which might be how she ended up so far into the woods in the first place. Instead of, like, stopping and, like, reassessing, she probably was like, I'm really close to the trail. I just need to find it. But she's not walking in the right direction. So it's funny too. Sometimes they'll find like people who got lost in the woods and they never even try to find shelter. They never try to start a fire. They just like kind of fall apart. Yeah. So, I mean, you just never know. Searchers and volunteers set out on foot and horseback. Helicopters and planes took to the sky. They would first run. And I don't mean like literally running. The 13 miles of trail between Spalding, which is the last known place that she stayed, and Route 16. This would be a quick and hasty search. And the majority of lost hikers are found with this initial kind of search. Mm -hmm. So it's basically you're going really quick along the intended path and seeing are they injured? Are they behind schedule? Are they nearby? Did they get off on a little side trail somewhere? You go that direction. You call their name. You whistle. You try to get their attention. Yeah. Side trails are a deadly thing on through hikes. Oh, Let's yeah. just They get you. And the, the AT does have, um, it's white diamonds, I think, like marking the trail all along the way. But I would assume it's the same on every mm -hmm. through hike where you can still get confused. Yep. The one group that rolled in at like 10 yeah. p.m. Uh-huh. They lost their trail. Yeah, they yeah. they went, what was it? How many, like they, 10 miles? They went 10 miles the in wrong direction. In the wrong direction, direction yeah. and didn't roll into camp until like 10. Yeah. And we had a room right by the door and we could hear them talking about how, is there any way you guys could get us food? Food well, because it wasn't even there. That's not even where they were supposed no. to stay that night. But the intent with these, like, first runs is to just cover the area quickly in case somebody does need help. And like I said, they do find a lot of hikers this way initially. They would also check, like, the scenic vistas where somebody might leave. Vista? Vistas. What the? What's a vista? Like. Like a view? Yeah, yeah. Oh. I've never heard that one. So any kind of scenic view where somebody might leave the trail to get to it, they would run and check those during this yeah. initial no, search No, this makes well. sense. This initial search totally makes mm -hmm. sense. I get it. 
While this is going on, they're also looking for any hikers that may have seen her on the trail. So in this initial search, they find no sign of Geraldine at all. Yeah. But they do call all of the hotels in the area along this way. To see if she's there. Well, not only that, but they have them check their registries and call those hikers to see if they have seen Seen anything, which is really smart. Searchers get a tip, you guys, and it's from an owner of an inn who got a voicemail from another hiker who said she was with Jerry on Spalding Mountain, but the message was garbled. She said, I spent the night at the Spalding lean-to with Inchworm, the missing hiker. Tell her husband she's going to be late. Remember, Inchworm is Jerry's trail name, if you remember. And Spalding lean-to is the next lean-to that she was planning on heading to. This tip makes searchers think that she made it all the way to this shelter, which changes their search grid drastically. And then three guys confirmed that they had seen a quiet woman with dark glasses on on the trail near the Spalding lean-to. But if you recall, Jerry was not really the quiet type, but that's how she was described. But she did have the dark-rimmed glasses on. So, surprise, turned out to be a false tip. It was just a hiker that looked similar to her. And searchers realize when they discover that this is a different hiker, that she never made it to the Spalding lean-to, and they had spent thousands of hours searching in vain, like in the wrong direction. Thousands of hours? Thousands of hours. Because it it was like two weeks before they were able to confirm that it wasn't a real tip. They were able to get a warrant for her phone. Surprising. I'm surprised. This actually shouldn't be that hard to do. I don't know why this wasn't done in the Terrence Woods case. I don't know why this wasn't done in like half of the cases. In all of them? I know. So they were able to get a warrant for her phone Mm -hmm. and... They were able to see that she received a call the day that she went missing, although she did not actually get this call, but it was attempted, and it caused her phone to ping. This showed her location north of the Poplar lean-to where she had spent the night, so they know that she did go north from there. So there would be hundreds of searchers and dozens of organized and volunteer missions. Heavy rain in the area hampered searches, And made it very difficult for search dogs, which we've run into this as well. Rain is not only bad for the dogs, but it's also bad for the searchers too. It makes it a lot more dangerous. It makes it a lot more difficult for them to be out for long periods of time. So they did alert distant alerts multiple times. The dogs. Which means that the scent was coming on the wind from a distance and there was no continued scent for the dogs to follow. Right, and this area does tend to have a lot of wind, and this can happen. But they did alert that they smell Jerry multiple times. And all these searches turned up nothing. Okay, so the family put up a reward of $25,000. And I think that was, like, in hopes that more people would, like, go out and look for her or keep an eye out for her. Or someone would come forward with information, like, in case Or her gear. Foul play, Mm -hmm. all that All that jazz. On Saturday, the 27th, she attempted to resend the message from July 23, which was, lost since yesterday, off trail three or four miles, call police for what to do, please. 
XOX. So by now, Jerry's food supply is gone. They followed tons of false tips and leads, and this tends to happen when a backpacker is being looked for on a backpacking trail because— There's so many backpackers. And, I mean, like, if you were to see a small blonde woman hiking after a small blonde woman has been reported missing— So there was a sighting of her at a shelter in Tennessee. Reports of her hiking in the other direction— a psychic reports that she had broken her ankle. They're actually the psychics that came out of the woodwork for this one. There were a bunch, a bunch where they said, you know, she fell down a hill and she's wearing her backpack. And I mean, there there was tons of psychics that came out for this one. On 7:30, there were four final attempts to send a message from her phone. And this happens between 4:30 and 4.41 p.m. But I couldn't find what the context of these were. I'm assuming it's just her attempting to send the other or messages. Or random yeah. something. Jerry did try to light fires multiple times and on one occasion was able to keep a fire going for a couple of hours. After this, she got more and more desperate. She tried to light a tree on fire. Um, yeah, which she could hear the airplanes flying overhead and tried multiple times to get their attention So I think her thought process was that she could light a fire, but it also appeared that she was scared of it getting out of control. So she would- Light the fucking forest on fire. I know. So she would like light a fire and then as soon as she couldn't see the plane anymore, she'd like put it out. Okay. So personally, I say light the tree on fire. Just do it because pay your fine for starting a forest fire It also. It also sounds like she had trouble, like, keeping a fire going as well. Well, and there were northern white birch trees all around her tent, and one was, like, eight feet from her tent door, and those are, like, gold for starting a fire. They actually, their sap actually, like, ignites almost. So, um, if I get lost in the woods, I am starting a forest fire. I'm lighting a tree on fire. If I hear airplanes and they cannot see me, I am right? lighting a fucking tree on I fire. Know. I support you. Lighten that thing up. Just follow the smoke to find Maddie. But do you carry waterproof matches on you? Actually, I think no. <laughs> I was going to say yes, but then I remember that. If you're going to get lost in the woods, just make sure you have my stuff and not yours, I guess. <laughs> That's my fucking issue if I'm completely honest about hiking now that I'm trying to hike with other people who are not my mother. I've been like a crutch for you for too long. Is that I'm realizing that there's so much gear that I don't have just because you don't we need don't it. need two. Yeah. We don't need two yeah. stoves. Yeah. 100%. I don't have a stove because I don't hike with anybody but I you. I have an extra stove. I have two. Two weeks after that tip came in about the hiker, another hiker called Evenich confirmed that she had spent the night with Jerry at the Poplar Ridge lean-to and that Jerry had left early before her. She oh, was my a, God, because she probably just finished her she, hike. Yep, and she was—so she did. She finished her hike and realized that Jerry was missing. And she was a fast hiker, and she had expected to pass Jerry that day around noon, but she never saw her. And this is what made the rescue team realize that they had been searching in the wrong area and that she had never made it to Spalding because Ivanich stayed at Spalding after leaving Poplar. 
So she went the same route that Jerry was going to go, but she never ran into Jerry on the trail and never saw her at the lean-to. And Ivanich kind of sounds like Inchworm as well. So that could be how the names got confused. No, for sure. I can see that. By July 7th, Jerry was running low on water. Right. And she actually had purchased a Sawyer water filter, but she didn't have it with her. Bring your water filter. My water filter is always constantly in the bottom of my backpack. And we believe that she was paranoid about drinking unfiltered water because she was actually previously a nurse and was well aware of what kind of parasites and things that you can get from unfiltered water. Rather have the shits than die. Same. Another thing that she left behind at the last hotel that she was at was a GPS tracking unit. And the reason she left it behind is because she had been told by multiple hikers that she doesn't need it on this trail because it's so easy to follow and she didn't want to carry the weight of it. And I will say, mine is heavy. I have an old one. It's clunky. It's heavy. It's obnoxious. I'm not going to lie. I have to charge it every single time. It's super annoying. But I don't want to die in the woods. So that was really hard for me to hear that she had actually had a GPS unit, but just wasn't carrying it during this particular stretch. August 1st, a hiker named Randy reported that he had heard someone moaning on the trail in the rim of a bowl. So searchers hiked along the bowl, blowing their whistles hoping to get some type of response or... Right, but this location was actually six miles, as the crow flies anyway, from where Jerry was. And on August 4, it was decided that search efforts would be scaled back. Her phone records indicated that on August 6, two text messages are deleted. But there's no mention in any of the reports if they were able to retrieve these messages. I'm not sure why she would delete two messages, but for some reason she did. Who knows? Maybe she tried to send something that she changed her mind about. You know, thinking that she wasn't going to be rescued or who knows. And there were also no photos or videos after July 22nd. So I think that's a little strange and it could be that she was trying to save her battery. But I feel like, remember our Burnside Lake case where she did videos for her family and Mm -hmm. she... You know, she had activity on her phone like that. I kind of wonder why Jerry didn't take any pictures or any videos on her phone. I don't know. Maybe just her being older. I was wondering if that could be. After this, Jerry does try to power up her phone again and tried in vain to send the messages to her husband again. But after this, there is no further activity on her phone. She also wrote a final message in her journal and fastened it to the front of the journal and put it into a plastic bag. And this message said, When you find my body, please call my husband George and my daughter Carrie. It will be the greatest kindness for them to know that I am dead and where you found me, no matter how many years from now. Please find it in your heart to mail the contents of this bag to one of them. That just... I honestly, I can't imagine writing something like that because I was sure that I was going to die. Yeah, like you know. And she's so sure that it's going to be a while before somebody finds her or this letter, 
that she puts it into a plastic bag to protect it from the weather. There's also something written on pencil on the back of this note, but it can't be deciphered. Like they couldn't, it had been too long. They couldn't tell what it said. And then she also wrote letters to her family. So her daughter and other members of her family, she wrote letters to them in the journal as well. So going to the site where her tent is found, looking back, one unfortunate maybe oversight that occurred is that they never consulted with Dr. David Field, who had built the section of trail that she went missing on and owned the land on both sides of the trail. He had maintained this section of the trail for 57 years. Damn. From what police say, they talked to the Appalachian Trail people multiple times, and this David Field was never mentioned. So I'm assuming they didn't look to see who the land around the trail was owned by? Yeah, and remember there was a lot of false tips going around about where she went missing. Right. So by the time they even... Focused in on just this on area. The area that she did go missing on. Yeah. It was probably just skipped everybody's. Yeah. And I, I believe I read somewhere that David said that he heard the news and was kind of waiting to be contacted by police, but they never contacted him. So frustrating. The investigation would continue for another 26 months. No new clues, no new nothing. Yeah, and I would guess that after the initial search was scaled back, it kind of turned into more of a recovery mission at that point, which is unfortunate because she was still alive then. So hard. I hate this case. Well, and it's hard too because you hear that where she's at and with the gear that she has, she could have survived for months, at least, eating what was in her area. She had water nearby. She had adequate shelter But yet a lot of these searches are stopped within a week. I don't, not that she didn't have good survival skills necessarily, but for lack of a better term. I think she did a really good job of preparing for this hike with what she thought it was going to be like and maybe didn't see other things as being necessary to know or understand or. She just had a poor sense of direction and got lost trying to Uh... use the bathroom. On October 14, 2005, Lieutenant Kevin Adams, who is a forest management company employee, and this company is Printus and Carlisle, and they have been in service since 1924. And he is out checking an area for hunting activity when he comes across a tent. It was north of the Appalachian Trail and east of Reddington Pond. And you guys, at this point, the tent is less than a mile from the Appalachian Trail. A mile. A mile. And we find out that on three separate occasions, searchers came within 100 yards of Jerry's location, and all three of them had a canine unit with them. Remember, the searchers used GPS to track the areas where they had searched. Uh. So her black tent with a yellow fly was set up but flattened. Oh, no. Yeah, from the weather, from just being unattended for a long period of time. So her possessions were organized and stowed in Ziploc baggies. Her blue and white bandana, her black rain jacket, a rosary, birthday candles. She's a Mylar space blanket, 
a blue baseball cap. So there was a dry bag containing two water bottles, one empty and one about one-eighth full, and nine Ziploc bags. And then Geraldine was tucked inside her sleeping bag. Her journal was there, and on the front was that note to her husband to read it. And on October 15, the surveyor would lead police to the site of the tent and the remains. But by this point, investigators are already like, it's got to be Jerry. Yeah. They've been searching for so long for her. They arrived at the campsite between 10 and 11. So like we said, the tent was flattened. Jerry's green backpack was outside of the tent. The area was very clean and some time had been spent clearing branches and debris around the tent. And just so you guys know, she does have a very long list of belongings with her, but we're going to post those at the end. So if you want to know exactly everything that she had on her, you can listen for that at the end. And there was no sign that she had lit a fire near her tent. Right, so there wasn't like a hearth or something built where she would have been constantly lighting a fire. So Jerry was placed in a white body bag and brought down from the mountain. And the investigators that were there actually appointed the investigators who had been working on this case since the beginning to actually carry her down. Like, they wanted them to be the ones to... Take her off the mountain. Yep. (sighs) It's also frustrating that she could have survived for months on the foliage and berries that were around her. But she probably didn't know what she could or couldn't eat. Learn your berries. Learn your berries. And berries can be really difficult, right? Sometimes they can look very similar and it's just about the shape of the leaf. It'd be a good idea if you're hiking in a particular area, look up the foliage and the berries that you can eat in your area. So you at least have a general idea. I do know all the berries in our area. All the edible ones. I know what's edible. And we'll talk about that a little more at the end too when we're talking about enhancing your chances of surviving in the woods. According to Jerry's journal... She logged an entry every day till August 10th. So the consistent journal writing went from July 22nd to August 10. Now, there is an August 18 entry that investigators seem less sure about the accuracy of this date. They're not sure if it was really the 18th or if she was confused about what day it was at this point. So she logged every day from the 22nd to the 10th, and then she also logged something on the 18th. Okay, I see. Now, if she was alive on the 18th, this would be 27 days from the day that she went missing. Jesus Christ. In a letter to her husband, she wrote, My deepest love to you and to all my friends. I pray to see you all in heaven. Uh, Jerry's cause of death is exposure and starvation. Such a painful way to go out. So at this point, investigators are pretty sure that Jerry just got lost and turned around in the woods, right? Now, this theory would be muddied, and this was posted by, it was a magazine, I think. Basically, their theory was in regards to the Navy. So the area that Jerry went missing in is very close to the Navy training school called Sear which is a survival, evasion, resistance, and escape school. The intention of this school is to teach Navy pilots how to survive in the wilderness if stranded or if they become prisoners of war. 
And a few months after they found Jerry, a Marine-based local magazine called The Bollard seemed to have their own ideas about her being found so close to the school. Nothing cemented in actual evidence, by the way. Gotcha. I will say, I think this is kind of ridiculous, personally, because what they just stranded her out there and made her write in her journal, that doesn't really make sense to me. (laughs) No, it doesn't make sense to me either. And not only that, but I will say, and maybe they didn't do their research, but the Navy was actually very involved in searching for Jerry. So... The Friday after she went missing, which I think she went missing on like, she was reported missing on a Thursday, right? Or something. Like the day after she went missing, they had searchers out looking for her. And they actually came very close to where she had been set up. Dude, so many people came close. I know. They were basically like one ridge away where they were whistling and yelling and banging on pots, but they never found her or heard her. Now... This isn't even the job of the Navy to be out searching for somebody, but because it was close to their school, they actually know the woods pretty well, and so they were out there helping. That's really cool, actually. The magazine suggested that maybe the area wasn't searched properly because it was near a military area with restricted access. But from all accounts that I could find, this area was actually searched quite well by the military and searchers, and there was no indication that restricted areas hampered their search at all. Why didn't she keep walking? Why did she not let a fire? Why? Okay, and we will we will talk about that. But I mean, like the searchers were so close. She had to have heard something. I don't know. In dense forest like that, it can be really hard to hear sound. Or if you hear sound, it's actually really far away from where you are. So we're going to talk about that a little bit. But actually, staying put, technically, is what she should have done. However, she did this after she had wandered very far from the trail. Also, some have suggested that the lorazepam that she was taking, the prescription, if she was even taking it on the trail, could have maybe affected her ability to respond to searchers. But I don't know that that would be the case either. What if she just actually died on pretty, like, died pretty quick and then just wrote in her journal, outdates... Well, here's the thing. That's one thing that I have considered because when you're lost and malnutritioned, you do tend to nap and sleep. And there could have been multiple days where she woke up and thought it was a new day and could have made another journal entry or something along those lines. So we really don't know how long she actually survived out there. But I tend to think that she actually survived until the 10th. So on October 28th, 2015, Jerry's family walked the path that she had taken. They parked and headed down the old railroad bed and Appalachian Trail. They walked north on the Appalachian Trail for several hundred yards north and then left the trail heading west. After getting through the thick boundary of the Appalachian Trail, the woods were a little bit more open. There was a spidering of old logging trails throughout the area, but they were not recent. But one of these logging trails or areas could have caused her to think she was heading in the right direction, too. Yeah. The next section came thicker and harder to pass. They walked down a steep ridge to a brook where they crossed the water and climbed the steep ridge on the other side. At the top, they shortly arrived at 
Jerry's final location. And the family left a cross where her tent had been located, and notes were written on the cross. One of them was from a small child, and it said, I wish you were here, probably one of her grandchildren. When leaving, they headed south, where the woods were thick for the first 60 to 70 yards before opening up again. After 20 minutes, they came to a logging road. They followed this road back to the Appalachian Trail again, and in total, their trip took them about 30 minutes. You guys, that's so close. And by the way, this logging road that they walked to, it took them 20 minutes to get to this logging road. And this logging road was actually used to transport searchers in and out of the area. So like we said, by all accounts, Jerry had planned extensively for this hike. Although according to her hiking partner, in the beginning of her hike, She told investigators that Jerry didn't know how to use her compass and that they would get turned around a lot and Jerry tend to get a little flustered when this would happen and defensive as well. We talked about her leaving her GPS behind. Mm -hmm. She had actually talked to multiple hikers who had told her that the GPS wasn't necessary because the Appalachian Trail was so easy to follow. But one hiker had even offered to set up her GPS for her because she hadn't activated it, like she hadn't set it up. And she had declined, saying she didn't think that she needed it. When we did the TMB, you're supposed to not need anything for that one either because there are markers everywhere, right? But we used it multiple times we and helped it other so hikers. We used it so many times. There was this one stretch that was really hard to follow because it was literally just rocks. You couldn't even tell where the trail was or where you were supposed to be going because yeah. it was just like, um, like a steep ridge of rocks like you had to create your own switchbacks going down where the trail was because it was too steep to walk straight down and if we hadn't had gps we would have gotten lost multiple times i guarantee it for sure when someone realized we had a gps we had people following us on one of the (laughs) days a good solid group of like eight of us well because we kept walking by other hikers and they're like do you guys know where the trail is like we got off the trail And people would be like, we're following them. They have a GPS. (laughs) That was literally what happened. Cherry had had her GPS. She not only would have been able to find her way possibly out of the woods, but she would have been able to make a phone call on it. She would have been able to locate or activate the beaker that would have sent her location for her to be found. On Jerry's birthday, her friends and family gathered near the bald summit of Saddleback Mountain where they played music and ate birthday cake. Oh, God. And it's funny. I I was reading somebody that knew Jerry actually went out and decided to hike the area. And I can't remember if it was her original hiking partner or somebody else. But they stumbled across this group that was playing music. And it turned out to be Jerry's family. So she was out hiking the trail to, like, remember her friend and ran into her friends and family that were having... A birthday party. Crazy. Isn't that crazy? Also, I will post a map, you guys, that has the coordinates to where her tent was found. And you can see it in relation to the Appalachian Trail and the logging road. It's absolutely insane. It breaks my heart. I can't even imagine, but I will be posting that. Okay, you guys, another thing that I wanted to mention. I read the book, When You Find My Body, which is by D. Dauphiny. I'm not sure exactly how to say it, but I actually just finished this book because I didn't find it until after I was done doing the research for this case and we had already recorded half of it. She, I called her when I was at work, FaceTimed her. 
like, Mom, what are you doing? She goes, I'm reading a book. I was like, what book are you reading? She goes, I don't know, but I have to go. I have to finish it before we record tonight. Like, <laughs> you mean you're reading a full goddamn book in like four hours? Uh, it did take me a day to read it. I don't know exactly how many hours it was, but it was a good book. But anyway, so the author of this book actually went to the site where Jerry met her fate. And one of the searchers that had been involved in the original search for Jerry went with them. They went to the brook nearby and followed it downstream, which is what, by the way, you're supposed to do if you get lost in the woods. You always find water and you always go down because where does a stream lead to? A lake. Exactly. Or an ocean. Eventually, you're going to get to bigger water, right? Bigger water means more people. Bigger water means more people. It took them 43 minutes of shuffling, like someone who had maybe been trapped in the woods for a week. They took their time. One of them actually fell into the creek when they were crossing it because the other side of the creek had easier walking on it. Okay. So they were not moving fast by any means. And after 43 minutes of following this water, they popped out onto Railroad Road which is 2,100 feet west of where the road crosses the Appalachian Trail. And it's the same road that the rescuers were using to shuffle searchers and canines into and out of the woods. Walking east, they were two minutes from the Navy School property. I find it so, so incredibly frustrating. So devastating. And imagine being one of the original searchers who's like, she was this close. She was right here and we couldn't find her. Well, and I think that a lot of them did really struggle with that, especially after she was found. You know, like even the Navy guys, they said, we don't like leaving people behind. And we felt like we were leaving her behind because we could not find her. So weird. And I will try to find, I have a video uh, when they went to her tent, they actually were with a camera crew and they documented everything. And it doesn't show everything in the documentary, but I'll try to find a link to that to post in the notes for this as God. well. So a couple of things, if Maddie and I can recommend anything to you guys. One, either have a GPS or have a map, like a paper map and compass that you know how to use. Because I have run into a lot of hikers that maybe will have a map on their phone, but your phone's going to die. You're not going to be able to use that forever. And they're less reliable than an actual map and compass, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So GPS or a compass or a map, I usually have all of them. Like just be smart. Take a little, watch a YouTube video on how to use your compass. I just got Maddie a compass, by the way. I don't have a compass. I feel like I should. I feel like I should have a should have. I feel like I have a compass. You probably do. It's just probably on some accessory. But I bought her an actual, like, real lightweight compass that she can use. Lightweight. Everything my mother buys is lightweight. Yeah, because if you buy something heavy, you're gonna ditch it. You're not gonna use it. Just like Jerry did. She ditched her GPS unit, which was probably less than a pound because she didn't want to carry the weight. So map, compass. Another thing. Follow water downstream. Bigger water leads to more people. Well, and not only that, but when Jerry first realized that she didn't know where she was, instead of staying where she was, she hiked up. She went further into the woods to try to get cell phone service, which 
I can understand her thought process. I can understand that she's thinking, okay, well, if I can get cell phone service, I'll get rescued. But really what she should have done is stayed put in that spot initially where she got turned around. And then ideally used her compass to find her way back to the trail, but we don't think she knew how to use it. Another thing that could have made a big difference with Jerry is after a certain point, you need to self-rescue. So when Jerry hit maybe five days, when Jerry realized that she was in real trouble, when Jerry started writing notes in her journal to her family and friends, this would have been the time to self-rescue, which means you pack up your shit or you get your bag and you try to get yourself out because at that point, the chances of you being rescued are slim and any longer and you're not going to have the strength to actually move. Mm -hmm. So at five days, this would have been the time for her to get her backpack, collect what she could, and just follow that water source. That would have been the ideal, like could have made a difference situation. But like we said before, a lost brain is not a rational brain. Mm -mm. You are stressed and you are tired. We do not do well in stress. Nobody does, apparently. Well, Most when people don't. No, and when me and Maddie are hungry, like we make terrible decisions. My mom let me buy a hat. I let Maddie buy a very questionable bucket hat. But there's just, you don't know how you're going to react. So giving yourself the best possible chance for survival. Like we carry extra food with us. In my, in my first aid kit, I have a random granola bar. And in my pack, I always have extra protein bars or extra— I just always have protein bars, like, loose at the bottom of my backpack. Like, we will buy a box of protein bars if we just need one, and we will just throw the rest of them into our bag because it never hurts to have extra food. And even if we're doing a day hike, I still carry some sort of shelter option, whether that be my tent or just the tarp or something— that is going to help protect us if we get lost in the woods, right? Welcome to How to Be a Paranoid Person 101. Because <laughs> that is me. <laughs> yep. But I, I know that me and Maddie do dangerous things sometimes. I know that we go out into places where we could get injured or we could get lost or we could get hurt. And I want to make sure that I am giving us the best chance for survival that I possibly can. Yeah. Including I have, I don't just carry like a phone bank charger because I carry that, but I also have a solar one that hangs just on my the backpack. Worst solar charger on the planet. It's awful. It sucks. It's awful, but. So bad. Unless it's in direct sunlight, it doesn't do jack shit. Exactly. But here's the thing. When my phone bank charger dies and I can't recharge it and I can't do anything about it, that solar charger might save our lives. Yeah. Yes. And it weighs like three ounces. So it sits on the back of my bag. I never, ever, ever in my life have used it, but I have it. Because I used it. Maddie's used it. I had it. it hooked up to your backpack <laughs> while my phone was plugged in and I was hiking behind you and I was trying to get my phone to charge by trying to hold the light. I tried to angle it directly towards the sun while we were hiking in Europe because I needed my phone to charge. Yeah, it's not the type that charges itself by the sun. You literally have to be in the sun and have something plugged into it for it to do anything yes. at all. And we learned that the hard way. We did. We did learn that the hard way. Yeah, sometimes we don't do our research. But... Take a little advice from us. 
learn the area that you're going into if you're going to go into it, even if it's for a day hike. Like, hey, I'm going to go hike in the North Cascades. What kind of berries will kill me? Do a Google search. Or just do a search of which ones to eat. There's well, a there's a smaller amount of berries you can eat versus berries you can't eat. Okay, that would be better. Also, I, always look for leaves that are shaped like butterflies. Yeah, just do a little bit of research. Pack some extra food. Make sure people know where you're going. I cannot stress this enough. We have run into so many cases where people go missing and their family members are like, well, they were going to go on a hike. And people are like, where? And everybody's like, I don't know. The Meredith case was like that where they had to drive around and look for her car. Remember? Because she said she was going hiking, but she didn't say where, but they found in one of her hiking books that she had like dog-eared a page or something, I think. And they just went driving around looking for her car in parking lots which wastes valuable time when you're lost or being held captive in the woods. Yeah. Also, if you don't have a taser or you don't have a weapon, get yourself one. Give yourself a little extra security just in case. Mm-hmm. Smart. But yeah. Anyway, that's the end of my tirade. If one person doesn't die in the woods because of it, it's totally worth it. I'm sorry for... I feel like I was just yelling at you guys for like five minutes. I apologize. (laughs) But yeah, if you want to hear more about this case, come and check out our Bunker Talk. We're going to go over more of like our more in-depth into the case. Mm -hmm. Okay, so that was a really difficult story for us. I I hope that... Yeah, I hope that you guys survived it okay. And thanks for listening. And... Thank you so much for supporting us. Um, We actually have new Patreons. New patron. So we have a new annual Patreon. Hi, Sarah Rosema. Or Auntie Sarah. (laughs) Thanks for joining our Patreon. Thanks for supporting us. Uh, This is my other sister, and now we're going to have to not talk about her on our Patreon anymore. Just kidding, Sarah. Love you. And then we have Danielle Castle. Hi, Danielle. Welcome to Patreon. I love your last name. It's amazing. Thank you so much, you guys, for supporting us. Be watching for, we. I think we just launched some merchandise. You can support us that way. Mm-hmm. Merchandise. Uh, I'm ready to see some people order their merchandise. <laughs> I'm just waiting. And make sure that if you order any merchandise, we want pictures and we want... Share it on your stories, and we'll share it on ours. Like, we're so excited about it, and thank you. T-shirts are very nice summer T-shirts. They're quite thin and nice. Oh, and as promised, you guys, here is an entire list of everything that Geraldine had with her at her campsite. So in Ziploc bag number A, there were three AAA batteries, paper directions for something with a light, so I'm assuming maybe a piece of her gear, string about 12 inches long, another empty Ziploc bag. In Ziploc B, there's a Panasonic S50 toothbrush. Which I've never seen a backpacker carry an electric toothbrush, but remember, Jerry doesn't have to worry as much about weight. Yeah, that's true. Advar dispenser on number 17. And this is for a medication for asthma, I believe. A small tube of toothpaste. Two orange foam earplugs, dental floss half full, and baby powder a fourth full. In Ziploc bag number C, there's a small first aid kit, 
two Bic lighters, three packages of Band-Aids, two athletic tape, one full and one partial, four blister pads, one waterproof match holder with 22 matches, and the two small birthday candles. Why does she have birthday candles? I don't know. I couldn't find any reason why she would have birthday candles. Okay. Well, and birthday candles could be useful if you are trying to keep something lit for a while. Maybe if you're going to, like, I I could see a backpacker maybe having a, a small birthday candle with them if they wanted to have a wick lit for longer to try to light a fire or something like that, because that would burn for a longer yeah. period of time. And a match striker, which appeared to be used. Ziploc D had a paper section of a map of the Appalachian Trail with distances, elevation, points of interest, and it's very wet. Yep. Maybe she had that out because she was trying to figure out where she might be. (sighs) Ziploc number E had the paperwork of the rosary. I didn't know there was paperwork for a rosary, but there is. A homemade necklace with a white stone wrapped in string. Ziploc F just has two packages of tissue paper. Tissue paper? Like tissues? Or I like, think like Kleenex. Yeah. You know, like tissue. Like tissue paper. Yeah. Not like what you would put in a birthday bag, but oh, like could, what you would blow your nose yeah. with. Number G had a sewing kit with five needles, which seems a little excessive to me. Mom, come on. Five needles. No more, no less. There is a piece of paper with follow Terry Hike with his blog terrybliss.com oh it was probably someone she met wasn't it it was someone she met and not only that but they found pages of his blog that were printed out and were among her belongings and she actually spent a lot of time reading them because she had little else to read so she probably printed them out why she went to like a hotel with her husband or something oh my god it was definitely somebody that she met along the trail though terry bliss whose trail name was blue moon that hiker that she met, according to his site, I went and looked at it, he was scheduled to finish hiking the Appalachian Trail on July 24. So like right when around when she went missing. Yep. So he was definitely hiking out there when she was. Yep. There was one Sharpie with a piece of duct tape, one pencil, a small compact Swiss army knife, a green paracord, which was nine and a half feet long, one white twine, which was 14.5 feet long. And then there was Ziploc bag number H, which was too wet to actually tell what was inside of it. So they didn't know what How was in there. How are her Ziploc bags getting wet? Probably not sealed really well, would be my guess. Ziploc fix this. Or also think if mice or varmints get into the tent at all, they could have chewed holes in it as well. Ziploc I has pages from a book with writing. And this is the note. To whomever finds her. Right. All right, Ziploc J has a $20 bill, three $1 bills, and 36 cents. And then Jerry's Georgia driver's license and a small notebook with George, please read. XOX. Ziploc bag K, number K, had a blue Samsung sliding phone. And Ziploc baggie L which is the contents of her dry bag, was a pair of beige shorts and a plum-colored sports shirt. Last but not least, Ziploc M. Okay, so she had black-framed glasses and brown-framed glasses that were both coach. Bougie. 
a yellow whistle, black pen stream flashlight. Which still worked, by the way. Oh, crazy. Okay, a keychain with temp gauge and compass. Yep. Yeah, so that was the entire list. Kind of a long one, but we figured some people might want to know everything that she had with her. Okay, so yeah, we're going to go and take a break now and get ourselves some Red Bulls before we record our next episode. So yes, thank you so much for listening. We really appreciate you guys and let us know what you think about this case. Mm. Yep. All right. Bye, guys. We did do a surprise birthday party for my mom. Pulled it off. Oh, yeah. I had a surprise birthday party this weekend. That was fun. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It was really stressful trying to get everything put together. <laughs> I was like, clean the goddamn house right now. I'm not really a surprise kind of person, but for some reason, my family really likes to throw surprise parties. And so I have now had two, two surprise parties in my entire life, and... I find them very awkward. It's fine once once I'm there, once everything's going, but like the initial like surprise, like that is not I, I do not Well, I mean, I don't know how you didn't know anyone everyone was there anyway. I mean you pulled up Oh, you had your eyes shut, that's right. But I knew you knew something was up because Well, I we saw real- I saw on the ring doorbell. Yeah, we realized yeah. that once um I didn't think you were going to check it, honestly, because I know you just ignore them most of the time because it's just the flag or a car most of the time. I was thinking, where's Maddie and Phoenix going? And so that's why I clicked on it. And then I see... Because I I told everyone you weren't going to look at it because I didn't think you were because you usually don't look at them. I usually look at one every now and then. So our flag, like, sets off our ring doorbell all the time. And so a lot of times I don't look at it when it pops up. Yeah, I mean, you missed the one where I dropped my coffee down the stairs. I know. But you and Phoenix were home, and so I was like, oh, I wonder if they're going somewhere. And I clicked on it, and then... To see my grandparents walking into our house. (laughs) And I was like, that's weird. What are they doing at the house? And Grandma had flowers and food. (laughs) And then I was told to put my phone away. So I guess they didn't quite pull it off, but it, it happened anyway. That it did, except for the fact that everyone was supposed to show up at 2, and it was literally only Hannah that showed up on time. Everyone everyone else showed up like half an hour late. Yeah, I was forced to eat ice cream after lunch, and I was like, I don't really want ice cream. Yeah, because nobody had showed up yet. (laughs) I was like, I guess I'll share something with you. And then someone, someone, well, who relate? Who will remain nameless was like, I think she's supposed to show up at three. And I'm sitting there like, nah, she's supposed to, she's supposed to be here at like 2.30. Like everyone was supposed to be here like an hour ago. Yeah. And I was forced to eat cold stone. It's fine. And then one of our, one of my cousins busted through the railing of our deck. We had some maintenance to do, but it was totally worth it. There was a basketball it. hoop upside down <laughs> in, the, in the bamboo. I don't even know how it happened. Well, it's funny because I'm not a child-proofing kind of person. I don't child-proof anything in my no, house. No, our house is not child-proofed whatsoever. You would, not, you would not actually know that children live here when you no. walk into our house. And so— It is a true story. When other children are here— We forget. We forget that other children just will touch, touch things and do everything. things. Well, my <laughs> Hannah was like— um, you don't 
actually like turn completely off the propane. Like what happens when one of your kids messes with this? And I'm like, Hannah, no one here is going to touch the barbecue. (laughs) Phoenix is not going to come up and mess with the barbecue. But you know who would mess with the barbecue? All of her children. (laughs) They're normal kids. They're normal children. No, they're great. They're great kids. They're so fun to have around. But I will say that Phoenix does get a little stressed out because she's like, um, what are you doing? Um, no, maybe we shouldn't do that. Like, she's, like, totally stressed out the whole time. It's so funny. Phoenix is, like, honestly, like, 10 years old inside of her little five-year-old body. I don't know I how. Know. It's true. It's it, true. Her conscious, her conscience she, is, yeah, like, 10. She did not get that from me. I don't know. She's got, she's got a very strong moral You compass. know who she got that from? Yeah. <laughs> from the man who's afraid of horses. <laughs> that definitely comes from her dad. So, yeah, so my birthday done, Mother's Day done. Now we just have Phoenix's birthday coming up on Thursday of this week. So just my sisters and their children coming to my house is how many kids? So if all the kids come, Hannah's got the nine, and then Sarah's got five. Fourteen. And then I've got five. Twenty-four. 23? 19. 19. Where am I getting 24? I was adding an extra 10 in there. Wait, am I doing my math right? No. That is a very different number than my brain just came up with. I don't know where I I think I was adding. I don't know what I was adding. Anyway, so we've got about 20 children running around our house uh, when just my sisters come over. So, you know. it's And that is why we invite no other children. Yeah, it's a fun. Well, it's funny because when we were just talking about that when we do Phoenix's birthday party, we never like we'll invite like maybe one or two kids her age, but then the rest are cousins. Okay. Also, what I've realized now that I've been talking to other people who go hiking, that's not you. I realize that I don't know any of the names of any of the fucking hikes that I've ever been on. They're like, have you done this one? I'm like, it sounds familiar. And they're like, you don't know? And I'm like, no, my mom just drags me along to every hike I go on. I don't know the name. Uh, Sometimes I don't remember, but for the most part, I can regurgitate or remember every hike that we've been on. But every now and then somebody will be like, have you done this hike? And I'm like, I think. I feel like I probably have, but I don't know for sure. It's in there somewhere. No, yeah, my friend was just naming off hikes, and I was like, that one, I think I've done that one. <laughs> Great. I don't fucking, I don't know. Okay. I don't pay attention that well. Okay, where am I? So he drops them off at Harper's Ferry and then drives ahead to meet them in... Prearranged? Prearranged? That's how you spell prearranged? I think so. Yeah. To me... Oh my gosh. By the way, one of our listeners oh, no. <laughs> sent me a... What? Are you assuming you did something wrong? Assuming, yeah. <laughs> she sent us, I think, it was Anna, I think. She sent me um, the definition for garbled and gargled and was like, I've been saying it wrong my whole life. It's garbled? Garbled, yeah. You're fucking kidding me. I told you I was probably right. But she she was like, tell Maddie, like, I've been saying it wrong too. Oh my God, I'm like... At least you're at least you're not alone, right? I have not been alone in any argument we've had about words. If anything, if anything, I will say this. I think that Madison gets more support for not knowing words than I do. And if I ever 
ever say anything wrong, like 10 people will call me out for it. And I'm like, <laughs> because you're supposed, you are supposed to be the right one in this situation. But, okay. But here's the thing. And you give me shit for not knowing these yes, things. Yes. And that's why I get called out because I give Maddie shit, but that's my job. I'm her mom. Like, stop picking on me. <laughs> She's done a podcast the, with your daughter. It's the, um, I got called out again for the rather or not versus the whether or not. Whether or not? Rather or not? Yeah. So I got called out for that again. I know I say it wrong. I've admitted that I okay, say it wrong. Yes, but at least no one will be as bad as the first lady that called you out on it. I get as... called out for everything that I ever do wrong. And then when Maddie does things wrong, people are like, Nah, I do that too. And then they're like, oh yeah, I guess I'm wrong too. Like, thanks guys for the support. <laughs> Everybody supports you just Seems from fine. behind a closed door. They do not support me. They do not. You will live. It's fine. At least I know that it's anyway and not anyways. I do appreciate that. Oh, somebody like called me out on something. I can't remember what it was now. They called me out on something and they said, it's probably, I feel about that how you feel about... Uh, supposedly. And I was like, okay, <laughs> thanks. Like they even threw one of my pet peeves in my face while calling me out on something that they have a pet peeve about. Okay. I don't think anybody I know catches on to this, but every time somebody says anyways, I say anyway back. I do that too. <laughs> every time. We're but di- we're, I We're dicks. It's I think that people just think I'm like... <laughs> Anyway, they're like, like anyways, and I'm like, anyway. Like responding to them. When yeah. in reality, I'm correcting them, but I do it every single time. I literally do too. Hopefully okay. none of my friends listen to this episode because then they're going to know <laughs> that I'm just being a dick every time they say it. To the You are this human. What? You are this human. No, I'm not. Really? That- you make friends with everybody. <laughs> okay, we do joke around a lot that... If you get me hiking or drinking, I'm more chatty than normal. When you combine the both. <laughs> oh, my God. I have walked away from my mother multiple times because she won't stop. I'm like, I got to. But here's the thing. In normal life, I'm not like that. I No, I, it's strict. I'm kind of the opposite. But for some reason, fresh air combined with alcohol makes me very chatty. I don't know. And side note, I... Me saying that out loud makes me realize that we drink a lot when we hike. <laughs> um, well, the fact that your flask got left in my backpack from our last hike because we didn't use it all. And then I went hiking with someone else and I was like, oh, yeah, I brought drinks. And they're like, what? what? <laughs> like, So I have run into yeah. that. I've run into that before, too, where I'm like, I'm like, oh, you want a drink? And they're like, a drink of what? Literally. I was like, <laughs> so you want a drink? And they're like, I'm like, dr- I have, you mean a drink drink? I'm like, I have vodka and crystal light. Are you not interested in that? I had meal <laughs> and vodka. <laughs> and I was like, and then I pulled out the cups and the flask and the meal. And then like, yeah, I got a full bar service over here. Yeah. So we definitely do that when we hike. It's like our like, like treat at the top. Like we sit and we like have a snack. Not getting hammered. We're not getting hammered. I mean, stop judging us. Okay. It was just really funny because I also realized that that it is like not normal. Normal. 